Amen. Take your copy of God's Word, if you will, and turn to 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 through 16, we'll focus upon this morning. As I've been working through this this week, thinking about growth, thinking about growing in Christ, because that's part of our statement, part of our vision. What are we to be about? We're to be about seeing every member growing in Christ. That is our hope. That is our prayer. And sometimes we need to check up. We need to see why perhaps we're not growing. What are the things that are in our lives? And what are the things that will help us grow? It's hard to believe that some years ago when I was growing up that my family, well, they were concerned about me. My parents were concerned. My grandparents were concerned. They were concerned I was not growing as rapidly as I should be. Now, most of you all look at me and say, well, obviously you didn't when you think about the height. But I'm not talking about height. At that time, I wasn't even gaining weight. You know, they would take you to the doctor and they would have these percentiles of growth and where you were supposed to be fitting within the life of child development and all. And I was always in the, in the very low percentile of growth. My parents, as I said, were concerned. My grandparents they would come and they would say, he's not eating enough. He needs to eat. He needs to be able to grow. What can we do? Doctors talk to us, help us a little bit. I remember one of the doctors finally looked at my mom and, my doc and that doctor said, listen, he will eat when he gets hungry. I didn't realize that would happen when I would become 23 years old. And that's when I would start eating and that's when I would start gaining weight, obviously. And that's when I would start growing. But there was a concern and there's always a concern. If you are a believer in Christ, you are to be growing. You're to be growing con consistently. You're to be growing constantly. We are to be growing. You see, someone has said that conversion is the miracle of a moment, but the making of a saint is a task for a lifetime. In other words, when you are saved, when you're converted, it is a miracle that happens just like that. You're saved. You and I can walk out and we can talk about how Christ has saved us and forgiven us of our sins when we committed to him, when we gave our faith to him, when we trusted in him. It happened just like that. But that is not the end for the Christian. It is not the end for the believer. You and I are saved, but then we are called to grow. We are to grow in him and to look more like him each and every day. And the church there at Thessalonica, well, they had experienced rapid growth. They were growing in Christ, they were growing in his image, and they were growing, I think, partly at least, because of the role of God's word and the role of God's workers. I want to show you that today as we look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning in verse 13. It says, For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is, in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God, which are in Judea and Christ Jesus. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen, just as they did from the Judeans, who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us. And they do not please God and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins 
but wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. Note what Paul says. Note what he says about the role of God's word in our growth. He says that the word had been working in them. Did you note that in verse 13? Which also effectively works in you who believe. In other words, they had received the word. They had been saved. But that word continued to work itself out into the church's life. That word continued to work itself out into each and every believer's life. The word for work is the word that we derive energy from. It energizes. The word comes into us and it energizes. It does, it does this task within us to make us become who we truly should be. And Paul emphasized that in his letters. Actually, 18 out of the 21 times that it's used in the New Testament, Paul used it to talk about how God would work in our lives. Now, that shouldn't surprise us because what did Jesus pray for his disciples? John 17, 17. Jesus prayed and he said, sanctify them by your truth. Your truth is your word or your word is truth. Isn't that what he said? He said, sanctify them, grow them by your truth. Lord, if you will work your word within them, they will make progress. The word is central. Listen, the word is central to our growth in Christ. If we're going to grow in Christ, we need to hear his word. We need to see his word. We need to understand his word. We need to recognize its authority over our lives. Here, notice what he says. You did not receive the word as the word of men, but you received it as God's word. If it is God's word, then it carries authority. It demands our attention, correct? If, if God is speaking to you, I think that's where you want to like listen up. You want to hear what he would say. Think of it like this. Let's say you're sitting in your living room and you get a phone call. Perhaps, in my case, perhaps it's my dad. If my dad calls me, first of all, something's wrong because he never calls me. He expects me to call him. Any of you in this boat, by the way? Like, the phone goes both ways. Like, sometimes I'll call them. I'll call my parents, and my parents will be like, well, we didn't know what had happened to you. Hadn't heard from you in a few days. Well, you weren't too concerned. You didn't call and check on me. Phone goes both ways. But let's, let me get back. I'm, I'm almost into a different place right now where I've got to do some counseling. But anyway, my dad calls. Leslie answers maybe my phone, and she says, hey, your dad's on the phone. I'm, I'm going to give due attention to that. I'm going to go, and I'm going to listen to what my dad says. For some of you, maybe your children will call you, and perhaps that will motivate you to listen to the phone call. Maybe if Leslie picks up and says, hey, there's some kind of guy from Denham Springs uh, that wants to talk to you. And I know I used this a few weeks ago, but I got to use it again. Maybe he wants to talk to me about my warranty being out of expiration. It's already expired. Maybe I'll be honest with you. I'm probably not going to listen. Pro any of you, some of you may be nicer than I am, but I'm probably not going to listen to it. Because it depends on who's calling me. It depends on who's speaking to me. 
And I use that to say this. If God is speaking, you and I better listen. If it's God's word, then it brings authority with it. It's not just somebody else that's talking. It's God that is speaking. We believe that the gospel, of course, is God's word. Here in this passage, when he is referring to word, he is referring to the gospel itself. He's referring to the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, who Jesus was, and how it had been declared to the people, and how they had responded in faith. That was God's word, the gospel was. But you and I, on this side of the cross, on this side of the resurrection, we also know that all of Scripture is God's word. Why? Because the apostolic message that was delivered by Paul is the apostolic message of God. It is the apostolic message that we hear today. All of the New Testament, I don't know if you've noted this, but all of the New Testament was written either by an apostle or by the apostle's associate. The whole entire New Testament. And just as Paul would stand there and declare to the Thessalonians that what he had said was God's word, all of Scripture is God's word. All of it. 2 Timothy chapter 3.16 says that it is God-breathed. That's what Paul says. Paul coins a new word there. Paul had, you would never find this word out in the Greek language. You'd never find this word out in Greek literature. But Paul decided to make a new word. You know, like sometimes we preachers, we kind of get excited and talking. And sometimes you look up and say, what did he just say? Probably just crafted a new word. I didn't intentionally do it. But Paul will intentionally craft a new word that says it is God-breathed. All of Scripture carries authority for us. You see, we have to recognize that if we're really going to allow it to do its work in our lives. That it's authoritative. And listen, every word is God-breathed. Thus, every word has authority over us. I hear some people today try to make such distinctions some people try to say well Jesus said this but Paul said this and Jesus words are much more important than Paul's words I want to tell you that every word of scripture is Jesus words you don't have to try to play this little game of well what would Jesus say I know what Paul said but what would Jesus say Paul said exactly what Jesus would say some of our Bibles, we have, we have Jesus' words in red. I would tell you that the whole scripture from Genesis to Revelation could be red, could be marked in the red color, because every word is God's word. And it is authoritative for our lives. You know, so many years ago, we as Baptists were known as people of the book. That's what we boasted about. We were people of the book. Why? Because we believe that the Bible was the authority for who we are. The Bible was the authority for faith and practice. We did not look to councils. We did not look to conventions. We did not look to our feelings. We did not even look to our own intelligence. We said the Bible is the authority for our lives and the Bible governs who we are. My friends, let me say to you that you and I in our lives, it has not changed. 
The Bible is still the authority for who we are as a church. The Bible is still the authority for who you are in your lives. It is not simply the word of men. It is the word of God. Do you realize that Jesus never quoted another book? As Leon Morris pointed out, he quoted the Bible only. And it was not to, dis- it was not to begin a discussion... It was to decide a point of issue. It was to decide a point. It was authoritative. So when we think about growth, you and I can't grow unless we decide that this is the authority for our lives and that this is what we must trust. We reaffirm its authenticity, that it is true, that it is trustworthy. If it is God's word, by nature it is trustworthy, right? Do you know that there will be so many people let you down in life? Some of you would probably say, absolutely. We can give you testimony of people that will let you down, people that you feel like you can't trust. You thought you could, but then they just seemed to break their word. It wasn't quite what you had expected. But God never breaks his word. God is always trustworthy. When God says something... You can believe it. Notice what it says. It says, this is the one which effectively works in you who believe. Present tense. Who go on trusting it. Who go on believing it. They received it, the Bible says. And the word received is the idea of receiving it as a tradition. Receiving it as the truth. So what happened? We've been doing a study of 2 Peter on Wednesday night. And in 2 Peter chapter 1, it, it says that people didn't just start writing the scripture. They didn't just decide, hey, you know what? It'd be nice to write some Bible today. That's not the way Paul or Peter or James approached it. According to what Peter tells us in that first chapter of his second letter is that God moved these people along. That the Holy Spirit spoke to them. And the Holy Spirit guided their words. And he gave it to us just as he wanted. I remember Dr. Travis at Blue Mountain College. He used to say, the Bible is no more than God wanted. No less than God wanted. But just what he wanted. He gave it to us in a trustworthy fashion. Some of you would say, well, what about this contradiction and this contradiction? I would tell you to, I'm not going to re-preach the Second Peter passage. I'd love for you to come and we can talk about it. But let me say to you that the contradictions that you think are there in the scripture are contradictions that might be in your mind, but that contradiction is never in God's mind. Some of you say, well, what is it? How about these variants, these textual variants? I, I took a textual criticism class. I'll just say this. I took a textual criticism class some years ago at seminary, and I believe more of the trustworthiness of, of the Bible now than I ever have before. It is something that you can trust. And you and I need to reaffirm its authenticity, and we need to read its answers. Reading the scripture, understanding it, studying it. Hey, when I look at this, they heard the word. Now, they had the apostles there, okay? 
they didn't have, they did have the Old Testament and the apostles reasoned from the Old Testament. You go back and look at Acts chapter 17. They would take the scripture and they would reason through it. But of course, these were apostles. These were individuals delivering the gospel. Today, we don't have quite that apostle speaking to us. But we do have God's word speaking to us still. Because the recorded word, the recorded revelation, gives us the exact truth that the apostles were communicating. Thus, today, we need to be reading it. Correct? We need to be hearing it as we read each and every day. I love the way Tozer said it. Tozer said, the Bible is not only a book which was once spoken, but a book which is now speaking. It is not just a word up for the past. It is a word for the present. We need to read it. We need to hear it. Reading gives us breadth, but study gives us depth. We read it and we study it. See, this was a distinction between we as Baptists and some other denominations. doesn't mean I'm dogging other denominations. I'm not saying that. I'm saying one of the things that was characteristic about us, who we were, for so many years is that we would say the Bible was authoritative, but get this. We believe that every individual can pick up God's word and they can read it for themselves and they can study it for themselves. You and I are not simply reliant upon other people. We have the scripture. And we have encouraged through the years our people to, to read but to study the scripture. Obviously, it is not because we lack the scripture in our country. You can find the Bible just about anywhere. You can find copies of it here. Or you can even pick up your phone. You can pick up your iPad. I remember when I was younger, the pastor would say, Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 through 16. And you'd hear the pages turning, right? My pastor used to say it was like the rustling of angels' wings when you would hear that. Now, when I tell you to do that, some of you don't even have to worry about a book form. Some of you, some of you just light up. You just glow like your whole face looks like an angel's face. Now it's not the angel's wings, but now you have the glow of the angel because the iPad is giving off that light to your face. I can see it. You and I have access to the scripture, so much of it. So why is our biblical literacy seemingly dissipating? Why does it seem like we live in a culture now that has more access to the scripture than we have ever had, and yet we don't seem to know it like we used to know it? I think it is because... We have not given ourselves to the study as we should. Some years ago, R.C. Sproul said that our lack of biblical knowledge is not because of our busyness. It's not because of a lack of intelligence. It's not because of a lack of passion. It's not because of any of these things. R.C. Sproul said the reason we lack so much biblical knowledge today 
is simply because we are lazy. We just don't give effort to studying. Do you know how many resources today that you can pull that you can say, you better trust, you better look at those resources. You better check them out. But do you know how many resources you can utilize in order to study the scripture today? More books, more software. When I got through um, preaching last week in the gathering, the 1030 gathering, one of our college students came up to me and he began talking to me about the passage that I had been teaching that Sunday. And he said, you know, the Greek word for that was, I was like, whoa, hold on just a minute. Where have you been? He said, well, I've been digging off in this Greek software. I said, that's awesome. That's cool. That's good. I'm going to have to up my game just a little bit. You and I can study. We should. It is God's word. And listen to me. We must apply it. We receive its application. Here it says that they not only received it, but they welcomed it. The word welcome is the same word that is used to describe Simeon's embrace of the young Jesus. So when Simeon saw the child Jesus, he embraced Jesus because he'd been looking forward to it. Here it's the idea that when the Thessalonians heard the word and they knew that the gospel was God's message, that this was authoritative, it was like they reached out and they grabbed it and embraced it. And when you and I embrace it, it really does begin to work in our lives to change us and transform us. You see what he said in verse 14? For you, brethren, became imitators. That means that they had had a life change. We talked about repentance last week, but certainly they had changed their trajectory. They had changed their lives because the word was making a difference. The word was making a difference. They had become imitators of the churches of God in Judea, but also imitators of Christ Jesus. That's what happens when we study the scripture. See, get this. Listen, you and I study the scripture not to get more knowledge. Well, let me put it this, not simply to get more knowledge. You and I might want to have knowledge, but that's not the whole purpose of studying scripture, right? It's not so that you can like uh, tell people where certain things are in the Bible or do this. That, that, that's, when you get to heaven, listen, when you get to heaven, do you know that there's not a like Bible knowledge test? There's no, like, you're, you're not going to walk in and Jesus said, all right, <clears throat> before I let you in, you got to make sure you answer eight out of 10 right about the book of 1 Thessalonians. Because you heard your pastor preach about that. And you, it doesn't mean you ought not to be studying and taking notes and you better be able to answer eight out of 10. But it's not about that. The gospel, the word of God was not given to us just, just simply for our knowledge. It was given to us so that we could apply it to our lives and see life change. I love the way it's been stated before. Is that we're not just trying to get through scripture. We want scripture to get through us. You know, here we are in January and some of us are on Bible reading plans, and I encourage that. That's awesome. But don't just sit down and say, man, i got to make sure I get my two chapters today because if I don't, I'm going to be behind. 
It's not about just getting through the scripture. It's about saying, God, I want this scripture to get through me. God, speak to me. God, work in me. Allow this scripture to change my life. When we come here on Sunday morning, it is for us to study together, but for us to see life change happen in who we are. Some of you, many of you are in the field of education. Some years ago when I was studying, and of course I'm also married to an educator, I came across what was referred to as Bloom's Taxonomy. Some of you know what I'm talking about. It talked about what you were really trying to achieve in education and how you were trying to drive people to a, a greater understanding. And this is what Bloom's Taxonomy said. It said that you have knowledge, but you want to move from knowledge to comprehension. And you want to move from comprehension to application. You want to move application to analysis. You want to move analysis to synthesis. You want to move synthesis to evaluation. In other words, you want to keep driving the student so that they can not only memorize the facts, but they can apply the facts in their lives and they can live out those facts in some way. Right? I'm all for memorization. But you and I can memorize all of Scripture and we can still act like the devil. I hate to tell you, I've actually known a lot of people who could quote Scripture and live like the devil. That's not a sign of spiritual maturity. A sign of spiritual growth and maturity is that you've heard the Word, you've applied the Word, and you are living differently in who you are. Let me show you how I think our growth is impacted upon the role of the word, but also the role of God's workers. When I talk about God's workers, I talk about those who would have any role in the church of teaching, of sharing, of encouraging any of the workers, like Paul and Silas. How did the church at Thessalonica, how did it come into being? Because of Christian workers, because of gospel spreaders, because of Paul and Silas and Timothy. Again, Acts chapter 17 tells us that they went into the synagogue and they reasoned. They, they really demonstrated how Christ had fulfilled the Old Testament, the Old Testament prophecies. Here, I think they had even likened themselves to the prophets, verse 15, where it talked about how there was a rejection of the Jewish prophets, Paul and Silas, I believe, would, would really find themselves into that same category of understanding that they are prophets. Prophets were foretellers as much as they were foretellers. They told the word. They preached the word. They shared the word. They were spokesmen for the covenant. And here they were teaching and sharing. Now, I said earlier that I believe that every one of you could take the Bible and you could read it and it could, it could impact you. You could, you could come to understanding. I know there's some difficult passages, but over, listen, I believe as you study, as you look, the Holy Spirit works in your life because the Holy Spirit is the best teacher, that he can lead you to an understanding of the Scripture. I really believe that. But I also know that God brings teachers and pastors and others in our lives to help us understand scripture there's a role paul and silas they had fulfilled that role for the church 
there at Thessalonica. It is important that we have people who teach and who preach. Now, I do believe it's important that they teach and they preach the Scripture. There are a lot of motivational speakers. There are a lot of people who encourage you and inspire you. But those who preach the Scripture and show us the Scripture and help us understand the Scripture are those who help us ultimately grow in our faith. I want you to feel good when you leave here. Some of you say, I do. It's the best nap I get all week long. I want you to feel good when you leave here in many different ways. But I'd rather for you to be changed than for you just to feel good. There was a young man walked out of the church one day. I was in Picayune, Mississippi. He looked at me. He said, Pastor, I really appreciate that message. And there are a lot of people say that. I'm very grateful for that. I always try to be gracious. He said, you warmed my heart today. Really made me feel good. Until he was arrested three days later. For some of the most despicable, disgusting acts I'd ever heard. And you know what I did? I came back to myself after that happened and never forgotten it. And I said, God, I pray that when I preach, it's not just to make people feel good and warm their hearts. I pray that you would speak to them in such a way with your word that you will change their hearts and that you would change their lives so that when they walk out, they'll walk out with a spirit of holiness trying to live for you. I would never forget that moment. And the only way that can be accomplished is through the word, through an explanation. That's one of the reasons I try to do verse by verse. It's one of the reasons I try to keep coming back and calling your attention to the scripture because I don't want you to hear this as Reggie speaking. I want you to hear God speaking. You can hear all kinds of opinions. All you got to do is turn on CNN and Fox News and all that kind of stuff. You can pull up the social media and get anything that you want, but I tell you that it's through God's word that transformation comes. And that is the reason we must give ourselves and teachers must give themselves to the word. It's one of the reasons I so appreciate the way Dr. McGee and Dr. Rick, and I would even say, I would even say, Rail, your dad preached verse by verse. It is the reason we come to it the way we do so that you can see this is the word. This is what it said. It should not be based upon my opinion. It should not be based on just my thinking or feeling that day. It should be based upon what God said is the truth. There is a role for teachers. There is a role for pastors. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16 says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Why? Why did he give those? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love. Listen, may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what 
what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Did you hear that? He gave pastors and teachers and all these other gifts so that the church could be edified, built up, equipped so that the church could do the work of the ministry. The old King James had a fatal flaw in there. It had what has been called the fatal comma. Because in the old King James in verse 12, it said for the equipping of the saints and then it put a comma. And then it would say for the work of the ministry, like the pastors are just the ones doing the work of the ministry. The original Greek didn't have that comma. Why? Because the way I understand that scripture, the pastors and the teachers are equipping the church so that the church itself can go out and do the work of the ministry. Now, I don't have much... I really don't have much patience for lazy preachers or lazy pastors. I think all of us ought to work hard. Every one of us ought to work hard. But you and I know that the pastor and the staff and others can't just do it on our own. That's not the way God intended. God intended for you to be out doing the work of the ministry. And what we are to do is to teach and share and help so that we can do it together. We must be about the role of God's workers changing us and helping us. Aren't you proud we've had those teachers and pastors before? See, when I was doing this, I, I, I hate to tell you, I get a little bit, I get a little bit of a head start on you because I know what I'm going to preach on Sunday morning. So I've already been thinking about some of this. And when I was working through this, I thought, you know, there are so many teachers. Can I tell you the Sunday school teachers have made a difference in my life? Can I tell you some pastors have made a difference in my life? Can I tell you about Dr. Meeks and Dr. Bain at Blue Mountain College? Can I tell you about Charles Covington, my high school Bible teacher? Can I tell you? I mean, all of a sudden, I started writing down. I said, God, thank you for these teachers. Thank you for them in the classroom of the church. Thank you for the classroom of the college, wherever it was. Thank you that you used them in my life to help me grow. You see, God wants to use... The word, and he wants to use the workers in the church to help you grow as well. Paul and Silas had helped them understand. I say maybe today, if it were your parents that helped teach you, if it were Sunday school teachers, if they're still living, if they're around, it might not be a bad idea to go home this afternoon and call that person and say, hey, I just want to thank you. Thank you. Because the workers take it to the people. They teach the people. But they also take care of the people. They love the people. I go back to verse 7 and to verse 11 that I preached last week in this second chapter of 1 Thessalonians. Verse 7, it said, we were like mothers nurturing you, nourishing you. Verse 11 says, we were like fathers. Again, the workers of the church, the teachers, the pastors, those who are part of the work each and every day, they care for the sheep. They love the sheep. Paul and Silas said, we loved you, and you know we loved you. And then they take it for the people. Those last few verses there talk about the persecution that came because of the preaching and teaching. 
how a lot of the people responded so negatively. He said, these that they were there in the synagogue, these were some of the same type of mentalities that had rejected the prophets. They had rejected the message of old and now they reject the message that Christ Jesus is bringing. As we know, Paul, Silas, they suffered. They were persecuted themselves and so were the people who responded. But that's what you do. You don't give up just because things get difficult. You don't just stop because you get discouraged. You keep going. You keep pressing on. Let me say to some of you, some of you are Sunday school teachers and you say, this year has been unbelievable. I mean, I hadn't even been able to meet with my class because of all that's going on. Some of you say, I've been preparing, but it's hard because I don't know if anybody's going to be there. And then, of course, we've got times when we have to uh, quarantine and we can't be all together and all that. Let, let Let me say to you who are teaching, don't give up. You get discouraged. You get disappointed. Do not give up. Those of you who are teaching in the children, the youth, the adults, whatever else, you've been trying to get the word out and maybe you're just living and you're trying to live the word and teach it to others and share others outside this building, maybe even in your workplace. Let me tell you, don't give up. Don't give up. Why? Because the gospel is worth it. The mission is worth it. Listen to me, the glory of Christ is worth it. God is worth it. No matter what the pushback you see of this culture, no matter what disappointment and discouragement you find simply because of the circumstances we're in, you keep working because God uses workers within the church to make a difference for the kingdom. You and I grow and we can grow as we apply the scripture to our lives, as we study it, as we give ourselves to it. It will have a washing effect, as Paul says to the Ephesians. You will be washed and it will work within you. You and I can grow because he has put people in our lives to help us, to understand, to teach, to show us. You and I can grow. The ultimate goal, look more like Jesus. That's what you're trying to grow to. So do you look more like him? Do you look more like him today than you did last week? Do you look more like him today than you did last year? If not, I challenge you to see the role of the word and the role of his workers and that you will accept his growth and that you will follow him with all that you have. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word because there's nothing so resourceful and precious, so enduring as you and your word. 
God, this morning I pray that you would give us a new commitment to studying and looking. Father, I pray that you would give us a new commitment to not only be a part of the receiving, but also, Lord, as you give us an opportunity that we would give, that we would teach, that we'd help others. God, today we bless those that have made a difference in our lives. We call their names in our minds and our hearts now. God, we thank you for them. And God, I pray that we would live in that same type of example of being givers of life and those we come across. Now, Father, bless us. Praise us. Pray, we praise you and we ask you to speak through this moment of commitment. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?